Psycho Steve presents. Hey guys and girls, this is Psycho Steve, and you're listening to my weekly podcast. Today is a very blessed day. We are very fortunate and blessed to have a very special guest, guitarist, singer-songwriter as well, extraordinaire, Mr. Chris Hager from Rough Cut. And you guys also might know, he was also a Mickey Rat. So good day, sir. How are you today? I'm doing great, Steve. Thanks for having me on the show, man. My pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time and the opportunity to, you know, chew the fat with me. I've been a fan for many, many years of yours, as well as the bands that you have been in, and so as many other people awesome. that listen to my show. So, just wanted to get awesome. started. Did you start playing guitar, yeah. or did you start off with another instrument, and then you say, you know what, xylophone wasn't cutting it, I'm going to go to the guitar. <laughs> You know, it's funny. Uh, my my great grandmother, when I was just a little kid, right, uh, tried to te- teach me piano, okay. and uh, I just, you know, I, I was young and I just didn't have the discipline to do it. But she she always told me she she would say, you know, you're full of music, and you know, I didn't really know what that meant or, or believe her or anything. But uh, later on, around fourth grade, I tried. My my grandmother gave me a trumpet. And I started playing trumpet. And I was in the school band for, uh, I think, two years or something like that. But, you know, I lost interest in that because I didn't, the music really, that we were playing, didn't really do it for me, right? Right. And so it wasn't until later, um, and I'm going to date myself here, but uh, in the the early, mid-70s, that... Uh, some of the bands that when I started listening to, to you know, heavy rock music, mm-hmm. uh, that's when I, uh, you know, I remember after school, I'd go over to a friend's house, and this guy, both his parents worked, so we, we'd have the place ourselves, and he had, like his dad had this killer stereo system, and this guy had all the, the latest records, all the new stuff that was, that was coming out at the time. You know, Alice Cooper, Deep Purple, um, you know, just Black Sabbath, all the, all the very cool stuff. And I remember, we, you know, we'd go home and, and we'd, uh, we'd go over to his pad and we'd listen to this stuff. And I remember what particularly, you know, particularly caught my attention was the Alice Cooper records that were out at the time. And I just, he uh, happened to have a couple guitars and he played a little bit. He, he wasn't very good, but he had an electric guitar and, uh, and, and an amp and he had an acoustic. And after, you know, listening to that music for a period of time, I thought, man, you know, I want to do this. I mean, this is, I want to, you know, I just remember hearing these guitar sounds and going, God, that is just the most creamiest, fucking coolest thing I've ever heard. And I want to do that. And so he let me borrow his acoustic guitar and I was off and running. Nice. And that, that's how I started. Yeah. And then that Christmas, uh, I, I asked for an electric guitar for Christmas, and I remember getting this uh, 
uh, less talk coffee. I think they paid fifty dollars for it. Wow! And um, uh, this is interesting because uh, I lived. Uh, I was actually living in South Carolina at the time. My family had moved back on the East Coast from San Diego originally. Right on. So. Um, in my neighborhood, there was a bunch of kids who were my age, you know, and we were all kind of into, we were, we were all getting into the, you know, into the whole rock music scene. And so I said, hey, listen, I'm going to get a guitar. And I know, you know, to this other kid, I said, listen, I know you're into drums. Why don't you ask for some drums? And the other kid, I said, you know, why don't you get a bass? And we can and play, and they and they did. I mean, it sounds like it sounds funny, right? Yeah, but that's exactly what we did. Nice. And we happen to have a basement, right? Right. And uh, so, you know, by that time, I knew a few songs. I was terrible. I know I only been playing for six, you know a few months, but we got you know we started getting together and playing. I think we had three or four songs. You know, Johnny Be Good. Nice. <laughs> you know, proud, proud Mary. If you think you know songs like that, and that—that's basically how I got it started. So, within six months of picking up that acoustic, and I really took to it because, um, you know, it's like when you—the difference between being forced to do something and wanting to do it. Uh, is is huge, right? Absolutely. So when, you know, yeah. So it's like when you're in school and you're a kid and you're not interested in any of the subjects and all that, you're liable to do poorly, right? Right. And and which I did, <laughs> by the way. But uh, later on, as I as I grew up, I, I became more interested in these things, and I actually went went back and took some courses and stuff. But but it was that it was that way with me on guitar. So I would get home from school and I'd practice till, you know, at three o'clock and I'd practice till dinner time, right? Wow. And then for a couple, maybe for an hour or two, a couple hours after dinner. Right. And I did that and, and you know, that was, uh, I think the first time I've really ever actually dedicated myself to actually doing something nice. and learning something. And uh, um, what, what basically happened is I got into progressively better bands. So I was asked to join another band who had musicians that were more advanced than I was, right? Right. And so they were my they were my mentors, right? So I never I never took a lesson or anything like that. Okay. But um but uh so uh anyway that's basically the story of how I got started. And uh Do you still own the first guitar? Yeah. No, man, that's long gone. Uh, okay, <laughs> nothing wrong with that. So you lived in, yeah. where in South I Carolina? Have, I do have a picture of it, though. <laughs> cool. Now we got to hunt it yeah. down. We have to find it if we can find it. Too bad you don't have, like, the serial number because you can track that stuff usually. Yeah, yeah right. So you said you lived in South yeah, Carolina. Man. So did I for about three and yeah. a half years. What part of South Carolina did you live in? Uh, it was a little town called Aiken. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm uh, familiar with Aiken. Yeah, yeah right on. Okay. Yeah, it, it actually is. It's, 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 it's got a little bit of notoriety because of uh, uh, they have uh, polo games there and it has a big equestrian yeah. um, you know, thing going on. And it's, about, it's right 
musician I have interviewed for this podcast that is from South Carolina. The first would be yeah, Perry Richardson. He now plays bass for uh, Striper. He was the, one of the founding members of Firehouse. He used to live oh, really? in South Carolina. He's actually moving back. He's from Myrtle Beach. Uh, is, that, is that also yeah. Myrtle Beach? Yeah, yeah, sure. I've been there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, um, yeah it, was a, it was a great, it was actually a great thing. We lived in this little lake community. Right. And uh, and it was a great place to, to, to grow up and go, go to high school. I mean, I'm a native, as I said, I'm not, I actually grew up in San Diego and at the age of 12 right. and so when we moved and uh, and then we came back and we actually lived in New Jersey for a year first nice. and my dad was on this project and then we, we they, they built this house on on a lake in South Carolina lived there and then in 75 I came back to uh, San Diego cool what part of Jersey I know exactly what it is. Oh, you get out of here, really? They have a really good turkey farm up in Chester. Yeah! Yeah. Dude, are you kidding me? No, I live in Jersey now. Don't hold it against me. But they have a really good turkey farm uh, because Chester has a really awesome... um, Sussex County has one of the best fairs. I'm a little bit of a carny and a fair fan because I love fair food. You know, the the fried Oreos and the really bad high cholesterol, high fat, high stress. Oh, Chester's really good for you. like the vegan stuff. Yeah. Yeah, right. So, (laughs) yeah, I, I like anything that has like a high five that content you know just take the pencil eraser and apply yeah. the pimples on my ass yeah so I'm a big fair fan I went to camp up in Stillwater New Jersey which isn't too far from Chester and great wow. fishing up there too so and yeah I, that's right so yeah that's Jesus, awesome man, that, you, you're, you're like the first person I've ever talked to that's ever heard of the place that's yeah. amazing cool so uh, but, uh, yeah. Yeah, it, was a, it was a great that was actually really a cool thing to get to do when we were kids and then wind up you know back right uh, where, where I was where I was born and uh, there's a lot more that happened after that obviously true story so besides guitar do you play any other instruments you said your grandmother or your great grandmother tried to teach you piano but do you play any other instruments now um, you know I play I, I can play some bass of course right. I can play just, just about any guitar player can but I can play enough bass to do uh, you know to do my demos and stuff but I'm not I'm not a great bass player by any stretch gotcha. uh, I can play just enough keyboards to kind of uh, if I need to like add a keyboard part or something I can kind of stumble through it and then quantize it awesome <laughs> nothing wrong with that you think it's other than that I can I can scream some background vocals and uh, that, that, that's about it I'm mainly I'm mainly uh, a guitar player yeah nice well since you grew up in pretty much in the California scene through the 70s, 80s, and stuff like that. Uh, we, I knew you that you got to play in Mickey Rat, which eventually became Rat. Now, uh, now you were in the band with Steven and any other well, former members well, of let Rat? Me, let, me, let me give you a little bit of 
let me give you a little bit of background on that. Please so do. Basically, um, when I when I moved back to San Diego in '75, I had one I had one friend that he was my best friend. We lived across the street from each other since we were like one and a half, and he uh, we, we hadn't really kept in touch that much until right before I moved back out. And when I moved back out, it turns out that he had started playing guitar as well. And, you know, he had, he had like a real Les Paul and a Marshall. It was crazy. Wow. And, um, yeah, for back then, you know. Yeah. Okay. And, um, and he was jamming, uh, he was jamming, uh, you know, just doing like a cake park party thing. Friday, Saturday nights, you know, uh, parents would be out of town and we'd have, you know, there'd be uh, six kegs at so-and-so's place, you know, and, and this was in San Diego. And uh, so that's what he was doing. So he had like these, like a couple cats, you know, bass player, drummer, and they'd go, you know, they'd just be jamming on Robin Fowler songs and, what you know, whatever else. And I said, by that time, I'd already been in three bands, right? Right. And I'd been playing for eh, about two years. So, you know, I was, you know, not not, not a great player, but, you know, but good enough. And I said, hey, man, I said, you know, like, we, and I think it's been about the same for him, which is kind of, kind of uh, ironic. So I said, hey, you know, uh, Tom, I said, listen, man, we should, we should start like a real band, you know what I mean? And uh, he was like, yeah, okay. I said, yeah, I said, look, I know how to do that, man. I should do, but, you know, like, you know all the people, man, because I've been gone for five years and I didn't go to high school here or anything. So, like, I, I'm completely out of it I don't know anybody he knew everybody so I um, so so basically what happened is I said so so do you know any singers and he said well he goes I did meet this guy named Steve down at the boardwalk I said really I said I said oh what's he like he goes I don't know he goes yeah you know he's he's he's, he's a cool looking guy you know kind of trippy and and you know, like I don't know if he can sing or not or whatever, but you know, he says he's a singer and says he plays some guitar. And I said, well, uh, well, let's get a hold of him, you know. And so we did, and uh, we were playing, we were we were jamming in Tommy's garage, and um, at the time, and so we had like a, you know, we had a drummer, a bass player, and uh, and it was me and Tom on guitar, and. Uh, so, so this guy shows up, gets dropped off, walks in, and it was Steve and Piercy. And uh, it's like, you know, we, we said, hey man, you know, he, you know, he looked cool, he was, he was a trippy guy, you know? He had this uh, charisma about him, you know? And uh, he kind of came in, and he was, yeah, was kind of shy, really, actually. And uh, so he kind of, you know, we had a PA set up in there, and he kind of stood in the corner, and with his hair sort of, you know, in his face, you know. And so we, we started jamming on some Aerosmith and some, some Montrose, I, is what I remember. I think we had a couple of Zeppelin songs, we, you know, that we, we were doing. And, and you know, he, he knew, you know, he knew some of the stuff, most of it. And so uh, he starts singing again. We, we couldn't really hear him that well. So it's kind of hard to gauge, but he looked cooler and shit. 
he had, you know, he had the school vibe about him, right? Right. So afterwards, so so we jammed, and you know, it was cool. So afterwards, uh, he asked me. He said, "Hey, uh, can you give me a ride home?" You know, and I said, "Yeah, sure, man, no problem." And um, um, so so he gets in the car. We're driving. We're driving, you know, driving over to his place, and he he opens up like you know out of nowhere, and he starts giving me this rap, and he goes, "Man, he's going, he's like, man, this can be done," and I'm like, "What?" Hmm. You know, he's like, "This can be done," and I'm like, "He goes like, we can do this, man," you know, and it's like he had this vision early on. Wow. That not a lot of people, not a lot of people have. Right. And I, I, I kind of had it, but I didn't have it to the extent that he had it. And he had so, so we, we kind of, yeah, Schumer really showed me how he's like, I've never had anybody talk to me that way. You know, it was always me saying, "Hey, let's you know, let's do this." You know, and I never had really had anybody give me that kind of a pep talk. You know, and so I was impressed. And he and I became, Stephen and I became fast friends. And uh, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a little anecdote here. It's kind of funny. So we 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 go over. So we basically, I think we jammed again. Uh, a couple times, and then we said, and we just say, "Hey, man, you know, like you're in the band if you want to be, you know." And he was like, "Yeah, cool." So, so we had a band, we had a singer, and we called the band Crystal Pistol. Okay, cool. So, I, I here's the here's the anecdote. It's kind of funny. I I've told this you know many times, but but I'm gonna tell you. Uh, so we, we we decided we needed to have a band meeting, right? So we so we were gonna have a meeting over at his house. So, you know, we all get in the car and uh, we met over there. And I think we were all together because we walked up to his door at, at the same time. So, so we, we, walk, we walk up to the guy's door and sometimes like it's mid-afternoon or something like that, right? We walk up, knock on the door. He, he pulls back the, you know, he pulls back the, uh, the uh, uh, shade kind of looks and sees who it is and then he, op- he opens the door he opens the door and says yeah, come on in and he goes he goes you guys want anything to drink he says all I got is whiskey <laughs> <laughs> and we were like looking at each other just going uh yeah man sure that sounds good you know? <laughs> it was just it was just it was just funny at the time you know and uh uh, and then, you know, we had this band meeting and whatnot. So what happened, to make a long fucking story short, is uh, Crystal Pistol, we, 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 you know, we, we played for, I don't know, I think about a year or so. We started playing take parties and, and maybe we'd get a couple of little venues. But Stephen and I split off. So we basically co-founded Mickey Rat together. Cool. The name was his the name was his idea, which he got from a comic book of the same name with only one C. And the comic book was about basically this was Mickey Rat was basically the antithesis of Mickey Mouse, okay? So he was this guy, this real scoundrel guy who drank and smoked and did drugs and fucked a lot of shit. 
Times, right? And it was illustrated. It was, you know, it was like brilliant, right? And so that's that's where the name came from. And uh, so we added a T, right? Right. <laughs> and then Stephen and I got, you know, got got our, you know, got our own players, and we started started playing, and we started actually. Uh, uh, writing originals and we're still doing cover songs too. Cool. And doing a mixture, which is you know that's that's that's, that's the way it goes with most most bands are starting off right. And uh, you, know, you gradually you know you learn how to write and uh, you start off with covers and then you, you kind of learn how to write a little bit and you, you get better at it and so on. But uh, we actually. We're doing quite well in San Diego, but San Diego was, um, San Diego is 120 miles from LA, but it's a completely different universe, right? Right. So it's a, it's a conservative, more conservative town, even though it's a big city, it has a small town mentality. And I would, I would venture to say it's still that way to this day. Uh, you know, my family lives down there, so I go down. I'm down there pretty frequently, actually, but uh, to visit them. But uh, um, so we we got to a point um, where we were doing cool, you know, cool shows. And, you know, uh, in, in some of the in some of the better that there were, at the time there were actually about a half dozen rock venues where you could play and, and you know they, they pack out and it was it was pretty cool but Steven in 79 said said to me just one day out of the blue he goes we need to move to LA and like that kind of was a shock to me because you know like I'd never even been to LA well I'd probably been through there but I'd never really been to LA you know and um uh, I was like, well, shit, man, I don't know about that, you know, and he's, 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 he's all like, look, man, we've got to do it, because he he had actually lived up here before, Okay. when he, he actually went to high school up here, and uh, so he knew LA a little bit, he knew some people up here from, from high school, and he was coming up here and seeing Van Halen, like, playing at the Whiskey and stuff, wow. and he used to, and, and he would come back and he man, there's this band called Van Halen, man, and, and this guitar player, Eddie Van Halen, and I'm like, is he better, is he, is he better than Michael Schenker? He goes, dude, you gotta see this guy. And uh, so that's where, you know, he, he kind of got the idea, and uh, like, this is, you know, just, you know, right when there was a lot of other things going on, like disco was still happening, it was kind of dying out, but it was still there. And and what else? New Wave, right? Right. That was it was right at the time where New Wave was 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 the thing. So so anyway, um, it took about six months for us to do it and for me to finally be convinced. But we we took everything we owned and. Uh, we threw it in our drummer's truck, and we went and we lived in this uh, in this garage that was sort of fixed up into a room, but it was still a garage. And we had so we had our aunts and all that stuff. We slept in there, we rehearsed in there, we partied in there, and we started playing around town at all the clubs that were happening at the time in L.A. and. Uh, we actually became the house band at a club called 
Yes, of course. Yeah, yeah, it later became the Key Club, and there was a couple other places. I don't know what the fuck it is now. It's, I think some sort of an EDM club or something. But um, anyway, we we started. We were playing there. You had to work your way up in that place. Well, you had to work your way up. Period. But we worked our way in there first by playing all these other you know clubs in LA. And meanwhile, we were kind of meeting other people and so on. And uh, we so we became wound up becoming there were six stages in Gazaris, six actual stages. So you'd have six bands set up. So one band would do their into thirty minutes or forty minutes, and then you know immediately the next band would. There was two levels, three stages on each level. Was, I mean, it was it was it was an amazing little place, right? Right. And uh, and it was famous. I mean, you know, Jim Morrison played there. Uh, Van Halen played there. Uh, just, it was very much like a whiskey in that in that respect. Wow. Where you had these iconic bands who had, who had gotten their start there. So um, we worked our way up to, to the big stage, you know, to the top stage. You know, obviously there are some stages that are more desirable than others. And we were um, and and we were playing there basically, God, every other weekend. And um, so some of the people that we were playing with, and um, uh, there was a band called Rock's Regime. Oh, wow. Which turned out to be Striper. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, uh, so, so we, were, we were hanging out with, uh, you know, with, with Michael and, uh, you know, uh, and, and and his brother and, and those guys and and uh, you know we, we used to it's funny because uh, you know none of us had any money of course back then and uh, wow uh, we used to we used to sneak beers in in our guitar cases <laughs> because we, we couldn't we couldn't afford to buy drinks in the club of course and you know still to this but, day they're too uh, expensive. You know, and you know, we 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 did that whole thing, man. We, you know, we had the, we, you know, and this was the very early stages of the whole sunset strip phenomenon. And I remember, um, not too long after that, uh, Molly Crew coming out, you know, with her first record, and you know, you know, like we got to know those guys. And, and they lived right up the street from the whiskey, right? Yeah. And uh, and so we, you know, we started, you know, getting to know these these other players and stuff. And no, nobody was really anybody yet, but we were all hanging out on the strip, you know. And, and because uh, these places, you know, the Troubadour, the whiskey, the Roxy, uh, the Rainbow, and Gazaris were all within walking distance each other on the strip, right? It still are. Right. Um, and, uh, well, because ours is there, but the building is. Um, and uh, uh, we actually got to play. Have you ever, do, do you know about the Starwood? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a famous old place. It's kind of maybe of the caliber of CBGB or something like that. The LA version of CBGB, I guess it's like, um, it, it, it was, uh, it, it had a very, uh, uh, you know, it was sort of a nefarious place. A lot of, there was a lot 
and you had a great place to play. And uh, we it, we actually got to play there before the place closed down. And I think the guy that owned it got wound up fucking shooting somebody and getting indicted for murder. And it was cra- just crazy shit, right? Yeah. And it was just you know it was just like. It was, it was just early, you know, uh, you know, late seventies, early eighties type stuff, and uh, and uh, there was a lot of drugs. There was a lot of women, and uh, you know, we were we were right there in the thick of it. And what, so basically, what, what happened was um, uh, Steve and I stayed together uh, for about a year and a half, two years, and then and then we kind of decided to part ways musically um, just because we just kind of had different ideas about, you know, which direction we wanted to go musically. And so, um, so basically we split up, but we stayed really good friends. And uh, I just lived, got places right down the street you know, he'd come over and hang out at my place. I'd go hang out at his. So we didn't we didn't just get to be his friends, but there were a lot of iterations of Rat. And by the time I left, we had just changed the name to Rat, and I just shortened it. We did a uh, we did a little forty five together, and um, I had a couple songs on it, and. Uh, uh, you know, we had done that, and uh, so what I wound up doing was uh, grabbing uh, one of the singers from another band that played with us, Kazaris, and starting another band called Sarge. Cool. And we were, yeah, man, yeah, and this was, this was, Sarge was the band that was in between Nicky Rat and Rough Cut, okay? Cool. So, uh, so, um, we were uh, we had this cool thing going man we, we had this like military rock like thing going on and so we had like the camo we were wearing like the camos but with boots and leather and shit we had this chick that was making our outfits for us and and, uh, and by the way just speaking of that uh, <laughs> it was so funny because we, we knew these girls Stephen and I well, we knew a lot of girls, but but, but uh, these two in particular who who worked at this who worked at this place, uh, this this hot dog place here in town, right? Right. And they were they were big fans of ours, and we you know we dated them and stuff, right? And uh, they would you know they knew we were like starving musician guys, and so they would bring us, they would bring us these like. 10 pound boxes of frozen hot dogs, right? Right. <laughs> and buns, and we'd, we'd like live, you know, like we live off that shit, you know? <laughs> uh, there's, there's lots of funny stories like that. I mean, I could just go on and on about it, but I, I know we got to keep this. Right. No, that's life, really but, awesome, though. Oh, uh, so. dude. Uh, it, I don't know what it was, but. Stephen and I always seem to wind up with sisters. <laughs> I mean, this happened on multiple occasions. <laughs> he, he knows that he can tell you about it. Wow. Uh, 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 I don't know. It just, it just happened, man. It's just, it was just one of those phenomenon. And some of them even happened to be plans. It was funny. But, uh, it, it, 
anyway, after after I after I after we split up musically, I uh, went on and we started this band, Sarge, and uh, Sarge actually started doing quite well, and we became one of the house bands for Troubadour, and that's when uh, I started running into some other people that you might know of. Uh, uh, there was a band called uh, Dante Fox. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. To play with, right? Wow. Right. Okay. Yeah. And so they were buddies of ours, and we were all hanging out, and 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 and, and a whole bunch of other bands, you know, um, uh, Lizzie Borden. Wow. Cool. Quite, you know, Quiet Riot. I, I remember the day Quiet Riot got signed, man, and Carlos and those guys coming down to the Troubadour and like, fuck, we got signed. Yeah, CBS. You know, and, and, you know, it's just like, you know, it's, it's, it was really a unique time. And uh, I don't think there'll ever be a time like that again, really. So I was, you know, actually kind of privileged um, in a way and you could, uh, to uh, to be around during that whole period and, and see all this. I mean, I saw Molly Crew do their debut appearance at the Whiskey. Right, and then right. they also did play the Starwood, too. They did. So. Yep. And... Uh, you know, and here they were coming out with these fucking stilettos and full blown their hair was you know, way the fuck up there and well, you know, completely leathered out with lipstick and shit. Man, that took some balls. That took some balls because it was still like new wave was still the predominant thing that was going on on the radio at right. that point. And rock hadn't really hit yet. So this was, so they, so in, from my perspective, uh, and there were other bands, you know, you know, there was a lot of other bands and bands that Carlos was in, you know, Snow was one of them. Uh, there was, there was some other bands up there and, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, Two Bros band, uh, uh, before Quiet Riot, uh, uh, I think it's just called the bro, but uh, and, and uh, they uh, so there's a bunch of guys who were doing it, but it was like really when when Molly came out, that's what broke it. Okay, that's when everything changed, and that was like '81, I believe, is when that record came out. Um, and that's when things that's when things really changed. And uh, so uh, um, anyway, just kind of getting back to what I was saying, uh, we we were playing the we became house band at the Troubadour, and we were actually offered a spec deal to do a demo with this with this producer who had produced who had engineered and produced Kansas. Wow. And he was looking for bands yeah, he was looking for bands, LA bands to produce. And some chick had told him about us. And so we get a call from this chick saying, Hey, this guy Brad Aaron is interested in producing you guys. Sweet. We're like, holy fuck. That's what and awesome. he goes she goes, Yeah. And we're, and we're, you know, we, we didn't know who he was at, at first, 
And then we found out, holy shit, this guy this guy worked on the last two Kansas records, right? Right. And so we met with him and we signed a spec a spec deal to go on and do it, you know, a full blown in a real studio. I mean I done we by this point I had done recordings but nothing more than eight track, right? Right. And but this was this was a real a real deal studio with a real board and a real twenty four track recorder and a you know, control room and the whole nine yards, right? And of course the deal was terrible. I mean if if, if we would have gotten signed we they, they would have they would have gotten, you know, a lot of money, you know, and we would have gotten shit. But we didn't care. You know, it's us, it was just like this huge opportunity. So what happened was see when you get me on the phone, man, and it's just like I just I just get going and if, if you want to stop me and ask me some specific, uh, some specific questions, no, we can do that. This is really cool because this is stuff that people don't hear. So this is pretty awesome. But we yeah, are going to. I definitely do want to ask you some more questions when you're done with this, though. Yeah, yeah. Well, I just I just tell you basically in a nutshell. So what happened is our singer Stephen St. James. Uh, it turns out that Barry Gordy from Motown wow. had been coming and watching us charge, that is, the Troubadour, and he was looking to put together a, uh, a uh, uh, you know, a band that basically, uh, what do you call it, a, a, a band that's contrived by a producer, basically. And uh, he was looking to put that kind of a band together and he really dug Steven. Steven had some Latino in him. And so that kind of worked with sort of with the Motown thing. And, but he was, you know, this great looking guy, man, built like fucking David Lee Roth, I kid you not. And, and he had, and he had Ross charisma too, which is one of the reasons why I wanted to play with him. Wow. And, uh, so he came out and I remember Steven, we were about two weeks out, three weeks out from doing, from, from being booked to go in to do this demo. He didn't come to me going, hey man, I've got something I need to tell you. And I'm like, well, what is it? And he's like, um, yeah, I got approached by Barry Gordy, man. From, from Motown and I said holy shit he goes yeah, yeah um, he wants me uh, he wants to sign me man and, and build a stand around around me and, and some other players and I was like well okay uh, we've got this other thing going right, what are you going to do he goes well he goes I think I'm going to do that and you know I was kind of but at the same time, I really couldn't blame the guy, you know? Right. I mean, Jesus Christ, when Barry Gordy offers you a contract, you jump. Uh, that's, yeah. And the funny thing is, is you're never going to believe who the guitar player was that, that they picked for this project. Hmm. <laughs> Mark Three. Really? <laughs> And, and the name of the band was, they, they called it Cagney and the Dirty Rats. Awesome. And so what wound up happening, I think, is actually the record wound up getting shelved. And uh, I think it was eventually released. But it didn't do anything. But the guys got paid, man. Like they were on. 
gospel retainer. Wow. You know, which is, you can't, I mean, when you're a kid that age, I mean, that's, you know, that's, that's like gold, you know? And so, so I had to, so I, I had to call this other producer guy and I, this is one of the hardest, one of the harder phone calls I think I've ever had to make. And so I had to call this producer guy and tell him that, hey, like, we just lost our singer. And, you know, after we signed this contract with him and we're, had already done pre-production and we're, we're going to, you know, had a studio date set. So I finally worked up the nerve and I called him and I said, Brad, uh, you know, I, I, and I've got some bad news. And he goes, well, what is it? And so I told him, and uh, surprisingly, he uh, he was actually, but I said, but I said, I've got a contingency, and he said, okay, and he was actually fairly cool. I mean, I thought the guy was just going to go off on me and say, yes, fuck you, you ruined it, you'll never work in this town again, you know, type thing, right? And instead he was cool with it. I said, I have this, we have this other guy, he's from San Diego, he's good, and uh, we've already, we've already, you know, worked up, we've already worked up some stuff, and he goes, all right, when can I hear it? And I did, so we, we set up a time, and he came over, we were rehearsing in our crowd, we were living in Hollywood at the time, and this was me and Matt Thorne from Rough Cut. Wow. He was a bass player. Cool. Yeah. And uh, that's how Matt and I met, although we were both from San Diego. Nice. Um, yeah. So he was a bass player. We had uh, we had Kurt Meyer on drums who, who played in a band. In fact, I think he just did a new record, he told me. On, he had played in a band called uh, uh, Salty Dog. Oh, okay. And, yeah. And and then we had uh, and then we had uh, 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 yeah, it was just a president. And then and then, and then and the singer turned out to be uh, a guy named Rob Lamont, who now plays in a band called the River Dogs. Oh, okay. well, yeah, cool. So, so there's a big there's a big history of musicians that that actually migrated from San Diego to LA in the early '80s. And uh, uh, yeah, I can just name a few offhand. Uh, you know, that's very Jake cool. Lee, right? Uh, Robin Crosby, Warren Demartini. Um, you know, uh, as I said, uh, um, you know, obviously Stephen and I. Stephen and I were the first guys to do it. That's we're the first guys to make the jump. And then within the next two years, about maybe eight to ten guys followed us. And every one of us wound up doing something, you know, uh, in the industry. Oh, you know, uh, to, to, to some degree or another. And um, so it's an interesting, that's an interesting story in itself. But uh, so we, turns out, Brad comes, listens to listens to us with Rob on vocals, and so we're like anticipating. You know, we play the songs for him, and then we, you know, we, we put the amps on standby, and we look up at him, and he's there with us, and he's standing there. He's kind of this imposing figure. 
Basically, uh, we, we, so we went in the studio with Lonnie, 
and Ronnie was just finishing up Holy Diver at the time. Wow. And this is a fucking cool story right here, man. Okay. So we're, uh, so, and Holy Diver was recorded at Sound City, okay? And, uh, uh, you, you know what, you know what studio I'm talking about, right? Yes. Yes. Okay, Sound City of Dave Grohl fame and the movies. So, uh, I remember walking into this place. I've never been in a, I've never been into a that high end of studio, and there was just platinum records lined up down the hallway. You had Fleetwood Mac, Rumors. You had Tom Petty, Damn the Torpedoes. You had fucking, you know. Well, later on, you would have Rat, you would have Nirvana, but at the time, you had all these huge 70s acts with gold and platinum records. Right. And the place had a huge room, man, and it sounded great, and it had that new board in it. So, Ronnie, it's just, they were just finishing, uh, just finishing up Holy Diver, and I remember very vividly that he invited us all to come down and they were just finishing, uh, they had mixed most of it, I think they had a couple songs left to mix, and they played, they played basically the mixes and the rough mixes of the record force in the studio where it was recorded, and it sounded, well, it's a great record to start with, so it just blew, blew us away, right? Right. And uh, so what happened was Ronnie, because he already was set up at Sound City and he had that time booked in there. He took Rough Cut in and we did two demos with Ronnie producing and his engineer, Angelo Siri, who, who was Ronnie's engineer and engineered uh, all, all of Ronnie's records. That's uh, awesome. Uh, had them do this, these demos with us and you can, you can hear those songs are out. Uh, 
England specifically, we played in Marquee Club and some other uh, some other uh, cities uh, and, uh, in in the UK. And uh, she already had us doing some cool stuff. And then we got the record deal. And um, yeah, so that's kind of how, how how that all went down. So I'm gonna shut up now. Let's ask you some questions. Okay. So real quick. All right. Uh, let me see where are we. All right. All right. So if you could jam with any musician, dead or alive, who would it be with? Oh come on, man. What? successful musician that you are today, what would you have been doing? Uh, 
shit, man. I thought I'd be dead. Wow. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, I uh, I went through a uh, uh, like a lot of this. It's nothing unique, really. But um, I went through a uh, a period where I was. Uh, in fact, I, in fact, I'm not uh, at all. Uh, you know, embarrassed to talk about it. I mean, I'm. Uh, recovering addict and uh, you know clean and sober how many years uh, but uh, I did a lot of drugs okay. and alcohol in my time and uh, so um, uh, it, there's a, I'm actually fortunate to be you know just sitting here talking to you on the phone right now because of some of the crazy fucking ass shit that I did so um, how many years have but, you been sober uh, um, you know, uh, honestly, I got sober in 93. I stayed sober for 15 years. Uh, I had a relapse, uh, and it was prescription stuff, actually. And uh, now I've got, uh, well, going on six years again now. Well, congratulations. That's still pretty damn awesome. Yeah. 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 Thank you, man. You okay. know, it's, it's like... Uh, it's uh, it's really it's really a lot of fun to uh, to perform uh, sober because you actually remember it a little bit better. Right on. I hear you. Yeah. By by the way, uh, I wanted to mention that I uh, real quick that I did. Uh, I, I wasn't sure if you're aware of this, but I just uh, uh, back in uh, uh, 2012, late 2012, early. 2013, Stephen and I got back together and I played uh, in his band, in the Stephen Piercy band, for about four years uh, before uh, before getting back together with Rough Cut. So Stephen and I came out, came, kind of went full circle, and so I was I was gigging with Stephen um, up until about uh, about a year and a half ago or so. That's awesome. So, uh, up and coming today you can share with them Or even an independent label, 
you've got to you've got to obviously you've got to have something unique you've got to have some chemistry and there's got to be something about your band that's um, got a chemistry and you have to have good songs obviously totally makes um, sense that, that, that part hasn't that part hasn't changed you know uh, you got it um, except for I think um Uh, 
recorded. Record it all on your own if you can. If you can't, get, get somebody who can do it for you. There's a lot of people who do it for you on the team. Um, and uh, get that out there. Get yourself a page on social media and um, and start start getting followers, man. But you got to but you got to have gigs, right? You got to have you got to have and and you know, get yourself some merchandise made up. Um, have uh, depending on what kind of band you are, um, you know, have some have some sort of a uh, some sort of a theme for your band, like what what you know what, what, what are we about? What do we want to look like? What do we want to you know? Instagram, Twitter, 
and also Facebook. So from all the fans on my show and fans of yours from all the projects that you've been in, I really appreciate you taking the time and sharing some amazing, amazing stories. Uh, if it's possible, when this new project does arise, uh, we would love to have you come back on so we can promote yeah, it. I love that. And, you know, keep preaching and keep doing what you're doing and keep sober, man. Six years, you know. Oh, yeah. That, 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 that comes first, brother. I totally get it, you know. And keep up the great work yeah, with that. And, you know, uh, we're very proud of you. I know I am because that's, that's hard. Because, look, you're in, a, in, in the industry that, you know, you get it all around you yeah. and people don't uh, get it know, I, like, I like to say it's an industry where you have an access to access right exactly <laughs> and hopefully you know these people you know will understand you know you're doing the right yeah, thing you know yeah you know and it's it's, it's just it's just a personal choice I don't I, I don't preach anything to anybody no but I totally get yeah. it I do uh, one of the things I do do on the side though is uh, it, when you know when I see somebody struggling and they reach out, uh, I'm always I'm always happy to uh, to talk to them and and, uh, and give them support because uh, I know from a lot of hardship and a lot of you know personal personal suffering in my life that uh, what it what it's like to uh, what it's like to you know be an addict and you know have those crazy things and I uh, have to deal with that shit and uh, so so yeah wow well but, uh, keep up the great work is that most people don't have that problem so that's good <laughs> <laughs> only about I think the statistics about one out of ten people has the addictive propensity to um, you know most people can have a couple drinks and be fine or you know smoke is going to be fine and, but there's just those that certain percentage of us that you know once we get once we get that stuff into our system it's just like we're, we're gone you know I totally get it <laughs> like we'll see you in a couple days <laughs> uh -huh. well like I said just keep uh, straight and arrow and keep up the great work yeah of course yeah well thanks a lot Steve I appreciate you having me on the show man my and, pleasure. Uh, and yeah, I'd love to come back on when I got some uh, uh, when I got some uh, some new material and all that, and and uh, and uh, talk about what's going on. At awesome. That point. Thank you so much. Psycho Steve presents. You can hear more from Psycho Steve on Hair Today on Tomorrow every Wednesday on iTunes and SoundCloud. The interview sessions are also on YouTube. Get your merch at Zazzle.com backslash Psycho Steve presents Hair Today Gone Tomorrow. Follow Psycho Steve on all social media platforms. Facebook at Psycho Steve Rocks. Instagram at the underscore real underscore psycho underscore Steve. Twitter at Real Psycho Steve. For requests or dedications or if you're in a band and want us to play your music or be interviewed or for advertising inquiries, email us at psychostevepresents at gmail.com. Psycho Steve Presents Hair Today Gone Tomorrow is brought to you by Pearlswag Enterprises, LLC. Please join Psycho Steve every Wednesday and Friday.